Father, we are here tonight. That's our heart's cry, that we would give ourselves away so that you, by the power of your spirit, might use us for your glory. And Father, I stand before your people. We've come here to worship you, to lift your name on high. And now, Father, we are here to have your word be open to us, that you, by the power of your spirit, might bring clarity of thought, enlightenment, not in that sense, but illumination that comes by the power of the Spirit to help us to be able to see what it is that the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us, the church. So come Holy Spirit now and empower me, take my feeble tongue, my struggling throat and voice, and hide me behind the cross. I pray you will speak to your people that they would know your word that comes to us by the power of preaching, which is the foolishness whereby you save people from their sins, translating them from death to the light of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. So come now, Lord, do what you've done and what you always does. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Please stand with me as we um, continue in finishing up Romans chapter 5. And our sermon series is called God's Message to the Whole World. And we're at verse 12 and we're going to finish off tonight, verse 12 to 21, in my sermon, part of the sermon series, what we're calling the benefits of being genuinely justified. Here we go. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over to those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. But the gift is not like the trespass. For as by one man's trespass, the many died. How much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. And the gift is not like the one man's sin. Because from one sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. Since by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as though through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. So also through one righteous act, there's justification leading to the life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So also through the one man's obedience, uh, 
the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of God. Let me have your seats. The message of Jesus and the 12 disciples who later became the apostles. Minus Judas, who betrayed him. Was a message of repentance. And to believe in the gospel. It was central to the mission that Jesus came to bring to the whole world, both Jew and Gentile. That includes everyone. I had Pastor Chad read earlier in our call to repentance from Luke 15, 17, which says, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. You ever want to know when there was a party going on in heaven with the angels? It is when a lost soul mired in the clay of sin and depravity comes to their senses, comes to the realization that Jesus is the Christ. And the Bible says, and Jesus says here, when the angel sees that, they throw a party. There's great joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Repentance means to change one's way of life as the result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. And we have spent four sermons on studying the benefits of genuinely being justified. And to date makes five. The great church reformer Martin Luther said at the heart of justification. You want to know why we as Protestant um, hold justification. The doctrine of justification is near and dear to our heart because in 1500s, this great monk who was in the Catholic Church reading his Bible, he came to this conclusion that the just should live by faith. And the question he was asking, how can God take unrighteous people? Because at the time people were being told that they had to work their way into having this appeasement before God and their own righteousness. And it still goes on today. It's just being said in different ways, give all your money away and somehow because you gave your money away, God in heaven will look down on you and love you even more. But that's not what the Bible says. And so in that, Martin Luther was the guy that we in the church say he was the guy that God used to bring about this great doctrine that had been lost in the church because the church universally always have the tendency to, to, to kind of go off course. We just we hear the gospel on Sunday evening. By Monday morning, we already got our false gospels list. Do God really love me? Do I have to do something to get him to earn his love? 
It's just something about us. Our hearts are just prone to wonder from the one that we love. It's just something about the human that we just we struggle with just believing that this great God who, while we were yet sinful and sinning, he sent his son to save us. But back to Martin Luther, Martin Luther said that at the heart of justification, he said it can be defined as a restoration of the perfect trust and love Adam and Eve enjoyed as the most essential part of their nature as human beings in eating. This meant that the sin that God, when he adopts us, Martin Luther said, when God adopts us, that the sin of the adopted had to be totally obliterated in God's sight. And Luther said justification is basically humanization, meaning the restoration of our true humanity, your true you. You guys always hear me say, God comes to get us out of Egypt. Egypt is not what we were made for. We were made for God, the promised land. We call it here the Zoe, the eternal life, what we were meant to be, the life in Christ, who we were, who we are, not what this, the God of this world would say to who we are. He's the dark Lord. He's the Lord over the world. He's the one that's trying to blind you and I to, that you won't see the glories of Jesus in the gospel. He don't want you to leave Egypt. He wants you to work for him, live for him, worship him and what you do, what you say, how you live your life. And so when you die, you just you just go to be with him. But Jesus has come through the word of God that we may have life. He's come to get us out of Egypt. That's the narrative of the Old Testament. That's the narrative of the Bible that God has come to save us from Egypt, to save us from the world. So that we will be restored back to our true humanity, true restoration, as, as Martin Luther says, back to our true humanity. And so this is why the doctrine of justification is so important to us, because justification gives back to what we lost in the Garden of Eden when Adam committed transgression against his creator. And because Adam was our um, committed transgression, as I said last week, he was our federal headship, meaning he was our representative. He was our ambassador for all humanity. Adam knew that all of life was in him and all of the descendants of human beings was in his loins. And God said to him, and so when he sinned, Adam, the Bible says last week, verse 12, Death came and it spread to all people. Why? Because all sin, meaning we are all equally guilty along with our dear great, 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 great grandfather, Adam, the first man. So in our 10 verses here today that I just read to you, if you was listening very closely, you would have noticed the word death. The Greek word there is thanatos. It is mentioned four times. If you'd like to read your Bible, and you should, 
Anytime you see a word in your particular chapter, and it just keeps chomping off. Say, Holy Spirit, why is this here? Stop, think, Selah. <laughs> see that in the Psalms. Stop, think, meditate. What is this saying? And so in these 10 verses, death is mentioned four times. Thanatos. And I think the Holy Spirit wants us to really pay close attention to this word and to know the significance of it. Why? Because I believe he really wants us to know that death itself, and most people don't know this, that death all around us is connected to what? It is connected to sin. Don't forget that. And the wages of sin is what? Death. The Holy Spirit says, stop, pay attention. Death is it's connected to sin. It's not some outside of sin. It's connected to sin. The Holy Spirit will want us to know that, that sin is the reason that death even exists. Why is your grandma, why did she die? Why are you... Family die, your father die, whoever in your family. It's because of sin. So the Holy Spirit would want us to know that death exists because of sin. Why, why are you sick? Why is there sickness all around us? People dying with cancer, sufferings and pain and sorrow and shame and all forms of disharmony. Why? Why you ever ask you, how come we just can't get along? Man, this, we're in the political season. Can't even go on social media. It's like this harmony camps. Just can't get along. I said, Lord Jesus, how long? How long should I bear in this world of disagreements? And you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. No, we're all bad. Hey, give me the mic. Can I just get in front of both liberals and Democrats, conservatives and Republicans and say, hey, guys, God's message to the whole world, all y'all. <laughs> and all in Greek means what? That's all you need to know. You don't need to know what all means in Greek. It just means all. <laughs> Everybody. So sin is the reason that death exists. And sin in its essence is pride, my brothers and sisters. It is a direct rebellion and blasphemy against God's law. That's what sin is. Pride basically means the created thing says back to the creator. Move out of the way. We know best how to do it. We don't need you or your blueprint or your precepts or your laws or your word to guide us. We got it. We look to ourselves. Find God in you. Huh? You ever hear people say that? Just, just look to the God in you. Huh? What is it? <laughs> See, I used to say that. Well, it just, just, you know, God, people mean well. I know they mean well. But God know I have a good heart. Whew. That's what we're trying to unpack here for the last three weeks. It's God's message to the whole world. Because what is God saying? We don't have what? But every day, you hear somebody say at work, you saw, you saw so-and-so, the new boss, don't he have a good heart? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so-and-so running for president, and, and he says all the right things, 
and his life is just totally crazy. He's breaking all the laws of God. But don't he have a good heart? What is that? <laughs> I just like, he's breaking God's law. He's living contrary to the word of God, but he has a good heart. Oh, okay. Let's go like that. Okay. <laughs> Whatever that little sign is right there. <laughs> well, verse 14 says in our text, the nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over to those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. Apostle Paul is referring to those who, who sinned before the law of Moses was given at Mount Sinai, like all the people in, in Noah's Ark Day, all those that got drowned with the flood. They were sinning, but the law hadn't been given yet. And so Paul is referring to those who, 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 had, who, who died. They sinned. They died because death was in the world. But they did not sin by breaking a specific command of God, as did Adam. That's what Paul is saying in verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Ever since Adam did what God told him not to do, God says death was there. It was happening. He lived 900 some years, but he still died. And the law for Moses had not been given yet. But yet people were dying. And so what Paul is saying, their sinning was not like Adam's transgression. Why? Because Adam sinned by breaking a specific command and an act against God. He knew God spoke to him. God says, don't you have you can eat from all these trees. But there's one. It's in the middle of the garden. Tree of good, tree of knowledge, good and evil. Can eat from that one. And so Adam ate, and the rest is history. He broke a specific command and disobeyed. But the people that were dying because of death and because of sin, we all sin, as verse 12 says, but it was not a specific sin. But yet they were still under the reign of death because we all sin. And then at the last part of this verse, Paul lets us know that he says, which is where I'm going to spend a lot of my time. He says that Adam, he is a type of the coming one. Some other Bible translation says, one translation says, who is a type of him who was to come. One translation says, Adam was a figure of the one who was to come. And another translation, which I like, Adam prefigured the one to come. And we know that Paul is referring to Jesus. There are two history events that all Christians should know. You should never forget these two events in all of human history. The first one, you should know the fall of Adam. Genesis chapter three, read it, study it, know it. First three chapters of the Bible of Genesis, you should know that. And the second most important history events in the world is the birth of Jesus and his death and resurrection. Those two events are everything in the world. Why? 
because one event brought death and sorrow. Want to know where sorrow comes from? Well, it goes back a long way ago. Adam. It brought death. It brought pain. It brought abuse. It brought Me Too movements. It brought all the stuff that we see is wrong in the world. And the other one event, it brought Zoe. It brought life. It brought what I call the promised land, the true life and peace. That event brought us life and peace. And Paul wants us to understand the justification he really wants the Romans and he wants the whole world and the whole church to understand this justification by pointing to the similarities of the first Adam and Jesus Christ, who the Bible refers to as the second Adam. A few similarities in their lives. Both Adam and Jesus were appointed by God to be representatives for the human race for a particular people or their descendants. Second, both Adam and Jesus Christ had covenants made with them by God. Pastor, what's a covenant? A covenant is an agreement between two parties or people confirmed with a symbiotic oath or an act. God made a covenant with Adam in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, when he says, and the Lord God, here it goes, and the Lord God commanded. See, here's the law. He's, he's talking to Adam. Adam can hear him. Now, you and I can say, well, I don't know if I really hear God. You know, I got music. I got, you know, music going on, I'm watching the football game. Maybe I'm upset about Alabama beating Auburn for the 10th time. Whatever it is. And you and I can say, well, I don't know if I'm really hearing God. Hey, Adam was hearing God. <laughs> There was no big mind in between them. It was clear. God wasn't speaking uh, mumble jumble bumble rap. <laughs> it was clear English, whatever it was. That's a good question. What was kind of language was God speaking? That's one of the questions I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven. Like, what language was that? Was it that? You know what? It might be a blessing to all y'all because they say, Pastor Hardy got that southern Sardis dialect. What if it's God talks in Sardis talk? <laughs> I would love to say, tell him, Jesus. He walked in the garden, y'all, y'all, Adam. He probably could have just one. He just said, uh, you, hey, you. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. God said, I'm, no, back in the 70s, y'all know this, y'all wasn't even born yet, but me and Sandy remember that. We used to go, so I got my cowboy boots on today. They ain't like Chad, but I said, they, they close to it, though. I said, I got me some knockoff cowboy boots from Aldo, and every now and then, I don't like to win, but, because it hurt my feet, but, but it looked good with my jeans on, so I said, I got to rock them cowboy boots. But back in the 70s, they had them cowboy boots on, and they were like, uh, Sandy, remember how you used to do it? Give me five. And they would say, and you jive. It was all this kind of rhyme. Hit me on my black side and all that kind of stuff. So God was saying, you know, you know, we give a guy, you didn't have to sign no contracts back in the day. You just give a guy a good dap up. Word was bun. And God said, I don't know how he did it. 
He said, Adam, boom, boom, boom. He probably didn't get no fist bump like y'all like millennials do. I don't know what that is. I don't mean nothing. God gave him a tap, hugged him. Say, now, you eat up that tree, bro. <laughs> that going to be a eulogy. <laughs> Adam said, what's that? Well, you'll find out if you eat that tree. <laughs> eat Adam. <laughs> Made a covenant with him. But you can eat from eating another tree. Covenant of works. You do that, you're good. But you eat. So that's the first Adam. When the second Adam comes, Jesus, Hebrews 8, 6 tell us that, but Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry and to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant which has been established on better promises. So Jesus, God makes a promise with him. Jesus has to come and obey God's law fully. I'm going to get to that. How, you know, because we think, you know, you know God really kind of likes sin a little bit. No, bro. God is holy. God hates sin. So, you know, we, we know we was at our men's retreat this weekend. You know, it's, we, you know we, we talk about real stuff in our lives. And it's never a, a doubt. Every time we meet, it's not a dry in our space because we get to see sin for what it is. Ain't nobody clapping. Ain't nobody saying, yeah, man, just do more sin. It really does make you feel good to see what it is. No, sin breaks hearts. It causes pain. It's hard. It's, it's ugly. It's devastating. I don't think people understand when, a, you know, just the one on fatherlessness. Man, that's, that's a hard sin. You know, I've been telling everybody about Michael's son, Samuel. Some of y'all got the picture and Michael's been showing it. I mean, I may just want to, you know, I'm going to tell Mike, I may, I'm just going to preach a, a sermon on little Samuel's smile after three days. You know what? Michael sends us a picture of his son three days just been born. And the kid has a smile that's like no other smile I've never seen on a little three-day-old kid. I said, Mike, I said, you sure it's your, I mean, I'm like, is this Mike's son? He's trying to, I got to go check out Mr. Bowen over there, director of operations. He may be trying to pull a, pull a bamboozle on Pastor Alton. And he got this kid smile sitting up with a grin like he just, he just won a, the, the lottery or something. And I said, Lord, why is that smile there? And I was, you know, I was choking up, walked away, I showed it to Sandy, you know, I was choking up. Grateful for Michael and, and Sims. But you know, you know how I smile is there? Because Michael's been there with his son and his wife, praying for his son. And we know the babies can hear the father's voice. So he already knows who his voice is. He already he feels the love of the grandparents and the family. And so when he's born, he's just, he just basking in, in love and care and nurture. But I'm in the community before the kids even here. He's all, his dad is already gone. There ain't no nurturing. That's fighting and confusion and shooting and violence and all kind of crazy stuff. And that kid get here. And so the difference is, I said, Lord, what is that? That's what it looks like when it's done my way. That's what it looks like when, when it's done the way that I designed it to do it. I didn't design a world where kids will be born, but the dad is already gone. 
And so that's why I'm raising you up to go into all the highways and the byways and the nukes and the crannies of all the inner cities and all the communities and say, thus saith the Lord. Repent. Come from out of your sins and turn and believe in the gospel. That's why we're here. It's a church plant. And so both Adam and and my third similarity in Jesus Christ passed on the effects of their disobedience and obedience. Moving on. Want to make a few apologetics insights about this text. Apologetics is a word to mean to defend the faith, to defend the truth of God's word over and against a a world that most of y'all will be living in that's becoming more and more what we call secularized, meaning no worldview with God. Talked about that book last week. But here are a few apologetics insight from this text that you can use at your job or your work or with your family and friends, etc. Here it is. The gospel is a message about what God has done to remedy the problem of sin and death in the world. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is good news over the bad news. What's the bad news? We're dying. There's death. There's sin. What's the cure? What's the medicine out there that we can take so that we, we can be healed of, this, of this, this infection that is in the human race? It's called the gospel. The gospel message is a history story about real people that existed and lived on the earth. This is important because in recent and modern times, people are starting to discount whether a real historical Adam and other aspects of the books of Genesis are needed to believe in Jesus. So you, you tell folks to believe in Jesus, but he's totally disconnected from Genesis. Well, how will you be able to understand Romans chapter 5 if you don't have a historical belief in history? Adam was a real person. He was not a ghost. He really was a man named Adam. He really lived. He really disobeyed God. He really did have a wife named Eve that God made from his side. They were not just figures of our imaginations. They really did exist. And this is important because Paul is giving us similarities of first Adam and Jesus being the second one. Adam was a real person. And because without Adam, the existence of sin and death and righteousness and justice, it really wouldn't make sense to us if Adam didn't exist. I could stop preaching and just go home and just flip the book. It wouldn't make any sense to anybody. It's because of Adam that you can say that's why we die. That's why you and I have to fight and work things out in our marriage. Because it's not as easy as it just saying we say I do to each other and then we go back and be, um, I don't know what that fight was last night. They watched it last night. I didn't watch it, but man, he got the, whoo. 
Pray for Brother Wilder. Man, they had a picture on the social media when his face was looking like, I said, man, I said, Lord, that looks like what sin looks like. <laughs> Beat up in the Holy Ghost. Brother Fury, man, you guys have mercy. This is what happened when you find a 6'9 guy. I was like, nah, I'll just say, knock me out and give me my check. <laughs> oh. <laughs> See, God, get me now. I'm going to push it up. Chad, I need a paper towel. I got red Kool-Aid, red drink, whatever it is. So Adam was a real person. He was not a ghost. He really did exist. And without really understanding the first Adam, disobedience that led to sin and death entering the world, it is very difficult to understand the second Adam's purpose for coming into the world and his obedience. Let me say that again. Without really understanding the first Adam, disobedience that led to sin and death entering the world, it is very difficult to understand the second Adam's purpose for coming into the world and his obedience. Which Philippians 2, I'm going to give you this verse here and walk you through it. It's referring to the second Adam, Jesus. Paul says, who existing in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. Coming a man, Jesus is fully God, 100% man, 100% God. He's in the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity when he had come as a man. God in human flesh. The Christmas story. Let us sink in. First man came, made in the image and likeness of God. This is the second one. But he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even to death on a cross. Let that sink in. Coming a man, oh, he can feel the pain. He had to sleep. He had to eat. He had to balance out his day. It was real. This is a, the reality. This is the second Adam. Why? Why is Jesus going through all of this pain? Well, Paul really in this is trying to help us really understand this justification. As Martin Luther says, basically getting us back to our true humanity. True you. We lost something in the garden. We got marred. We lost something. We lost God's righteousness. 
So how is it that God's going to get us back into community and harmony and peace? Something has to happen. It's just not osmosis. All this sin that the world does, all these abortions, all these murders, all this crime, all this lying, breaking of God's law. Somebody has to do something to make it to get us back to God. We just can't get back to him just because we can. So this is what Jesus has to step down. He has to do something. He has to go to a cross. And Carl put up back to Romans chapter five, starting at verse 18. This is why Paul's trying to make this thing hit home for us as it relates to this justification. Basically, God declaring a sinners, we are sinners. We have fallen short of God's glory. We have all sinned. We have all come short. There's not none of us who are righteous. We all have, as my good friend Al Baker says, cobra hearts. But God declares us, when we believe in Jesus, God gives us a righteousness that's not of our own. He gives us, he imputes to us Jesus' perfect obedience unto the cross. He never broke God's law. He never sinned. He obeyed the Father's will. He didn't do what the first Adam did. And we ought to give him glory for that. That's why we can say, Father, forgive me for my sins. It's not an osmosis forgiveness. Somebody had to pay the penalty of, of this sin because the wages of sin is death. Somebody had to pay the father. Someone had to pay the father. And Jesus says, I will. I will pay. I will go and be that lamb. And so Paul's trying to help us understand this justification. And I'm closing. He says, so as through one trespass, Adam's trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. We're all guilty under sin. So also through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life, Zoe, for everyone who believes in that story. Keep going. For just as to one man disobedience, one man disobedience, the first Adam, many were made sinners. But so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Why are you getting righteous? You, you, you didn't earn it. You, you believe. You believe Jesus. You believe the gospel. You repent and believe the gospel. And what's the gospel? Jesus dies in place of us. He became sin for us so that you and I could have the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. Not that you got a good heart. No, don't say that. He had a good heart. I had a hard, bad heart. My heart is bad outside of Jesus. And all of us in this room, all of our hearts are bad. He has a good heart. We are not good. He is good. So I mean, say he's a good, good father. And then Paul goes on and says that the law came along to multiply. See, the law can't deliver us. All the law said, your breath stinks for real. It gives you a name for it. The law says, yeah, you're an adulterer. You're a liar. You're a thief. You're a sexual immoral person. The law just names it. The law says, you hate your mother and father. 
You don't honor them. The Lord just points it out. So he multiplies the trespass. We now know what sin is. Can't hide it no more. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. What Paul says? This Greek word here is super abounded, bountiful grace. Where there's sin, where there's been done wrong, where we've been abused, where we've been abandoned, where the fathers have walked out, where our wives or husbands have walked out, we've been done wrong, we've had racial um, disharmony, whatever it is, sin. But Paul says, but God's grace has multiplied even more. This is why, even though we're in a men's retreat and we're hearing each other's story and there's pain, but the glory of the pain, and we're not just left there because we have a God, we have a Savior, we have a Jesus, we have a God who saves us, we have a God that though we've been wounded, though we've been hurt, though we've been stuck down, but Jesus, in his grace, he reaches down and he takes fatherless kids and he calls them to be preachers. He calls women who've been abused to be those to be a part of the healing agent in this world. That's that grace. That's that powerful, cherished grace. And Paul goes on to say, so that just as sin reigned in death, yeah, it came. Oh, death, where is your sting? You old grin, reaper, bad breath, dude. I mean, death has bad breath. In fact, I know it does. You ever smell a dead body or dead animal? Bad breath. But also, grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Meaning, where there's sin more abounding, grace all the more. Paul is trying to say it's a hundred billion times more. This is why I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've said. I don't care how you've lived. But when you come to Jesus, you get a new slate. You get a new life. You get a new heart. You become a new person. The old has passed away. And behold, all things are new. You're a new person. And this is why we can lift our hands. And we can sing and we can say, Jesus, for your glory. If it wasn't for your glory, if it wasn't for you, Jesus, this is what justification is. I got a righteousness. When father sees me, he don't see me. They're all out. He sees Jesus. He sees me in that perfect righteousness. And that's why I got peace. That's why I have grace. That's why I can talk to him. And not only now, that was many times I couldn't hear him, but now I can hear his voice. I can hear him say, go that direction. Go this way. Do it this way. I heard him say, go to Fairfield. Trust me. I know it's small. I know you're in Fairfield, but watch what I do. I'll put a building on Gary Avenue. I'll bring black and white, and I'll show them that I sit on the throne. This is my father's world. That's the Jesus I'm talking about. <laughs> Praise the Peter God. <laughs> he said, trust me. I'll show you. I'll split the Red Seas. I'll take a kid from service, put him in the PCA, and I'll take those who are despised and rejected by the world, and I'll show those that my grace, <laughs> my bountiful, multiplied grace, 
That's who we serve as saints. So let me pray. And then Chad come up and Chad don't step in the red Kool-Aid. <laughs> Father, we thank you for we are justified, not because of us, because of you. Thank you, Jesus, that you, you are that true second Adam, the last Adam. You, being raised from the grave, defeated death. And we can all say, as we will all say, oh, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? Because you came and defeated death. And Father, there's that new Jerusalem coming, that holy city, where there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. There will be no more heartache. There will be no more eulogies to go and to attend. There will be no more backbiting, racial hatred. There will be no more rejections. There will be no more being abandoned, there will be no more any of that. For we will be where you are. We will be your children and you will be our God. <laughs> That's the true story. That's what we long for, Father. A place where we can just know that when you made us, you took a chance of making us not to be robots. And you gave us free autonomy. And Adam fell. God, we, anyone can understand why, man, you, someone that made somebody and we fail you, we could just walk away. And you would be rightfully doing so and doing it. Who could say, what? You didn't walk away from us. You didn't walk away, Father. You came to us. You are the great lover of our soul. You are the God who is clothing us in true righteousness and holiness. When you could have walked away, you could have said, I'm done with all of humanity and I'm abandoning them all to hell. But no, Father, you didn't. You reached down and you have been saving and calling people to yourself, justifying sinners, granting them righteousness by the death of your son so that we could have peace, stand in your grace, have the hope of the glory of God, all because of you and your love for us. Save here tonight, Father. Open the eyes of someone who needs to hear and understand that story better than I can explain it. By your power and your Holy Spirit, it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Brother Chad, just, I'm going to go to the back and come and y'all can please stand to your feet as Brother Pastor Chad give the benediction.